You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do the people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. I'd like to welcome to the stage Francine Lacroix, editor-at-large at Bloomberg News, and the Right Honourable Keir Starmer, leader of the Labour Party, to talk about Labour's plans for the tech industry, something I'm sure you'll all be very interested to hear more about with an election looming. Please welcome them to the stage. Thank you. Sir Keir, thank you so much for joining us. Now, there are, first of all, we need to address, because there are media reports of um, a major incident in Nottingham. Yeah, I, m- m- people here will probably be seeing the news filtering through, and I don't think we can start this session without acknowledging that there has been a serious incident in Nottingham this morning. Um, information is still coming through, but um, it's just been reported that three people um, have lost their lives. So. I'm sure I speak for everybody in this room in saying that we'd like to just send our thoughts to all those affected um, and to the emergency services who are responding to this as we speak. So I think we will get to tech, obviously, in just a moment, but I just think uh, when there's something that serious happening in Nottingham, we just need to acknowledge it. Um, As I say, send our thoughts to those that are affected and thank those that are responding to it on behalf of all of us. Yeah, and Sir Keir, before we get on to tech, actually, and AI, it's been quite a weekend for UK politics. It has been quite a weekend um, for everybody following. Um, So on Friday night, I was doing a speech for Margaret Beckett, who's one of our longest standing MPs. She's been an MP for 49 years. And I was in Derby um, with about 550 people thanking her for her service. And as I sat down, I got a note put in front of me that said, Boris Johnson has resigned with immediate effect. (laughs) Um, And then on Sunday, I went for lunch. It was my wife's birthday. Went for lunch with a number of friends. And just as we were sitting down, I saw my phone ping up that Nicola Sturgeon had been arrested. Um, So that's quite a lot to pack in to one weekend. And obviously, it comes on the back of a very turbulent 12 months or so. This time last year, Boris Johnson was prime minister. We've burnt through three prime ministers. We've had four chancellors and four budgets in the last 12 months. Um, and, you know, politically, um, that makes for a lot of material. Um, it is certainly evidence of chaos. And a party, political parties usually fight like this when they're out of office. It's very unusual to have it when they're in office. And now we've got three by-elections caused by just political fallout. Um, often you have by-elections because someone sadly dies or is very ill or there's some finding against them. To have three by-elections, which are essentially political tantrums, is really unprecedented. Um, and, you know, politically, obviously, from our point of view, um, 
you know, we look at it and see that chaos, but there is a price to be paid. And um, everywhere you go across the country, most people are really worried about the cost of living. They're worried about how they're going to pay their bills. And for them to see a government squabbling with itself instead of focusing on what they need addressed, I think is, you know, a very serious situation for this government to have got itself into. And there's a deeper price because there's a reputational hit to the UK and I think there's an economic hit as well, because many investors, and this is very relevant to what we're discussing this morning, many investors say to me, we're not investing in the UK right now because we don't see the conditions of certainty and stability that we need in order to invest. And that will affect people in this room, it'll affect startups, businesses, um, not only in tech, but across many, many sectors. So there's a political price of this chaos as well. But with the implosion of the SNP, do you see what kind of opportunity do you see for Labour in Scotland? Well, the implosion of the SNP has been very profound. Um, and uh, I think it's done two things. It's now allowed a proper examination of the SNP record in government. Until this point, the SNP was um, quite able to ensure that the only discussion in Scotland was about independence, about the referendum, constitutional issues, and not about the things that actually, in many respects, matter um, so much more to people. So now that torch, if you like, that light is shone on their record, and it's not a very good record. From our point of view, it obviously gives us an opportunity to make an argument about Scotland, about the future of Scotland, um, that, you know, means we are more likely to be heard as we go forward. We've got a strong case to put in Scotland, a very positive case to put in Scotland. Um, it doesn't necessarily flow that because the SNP implodes, SNP voters necessarily move to a different political party. We've got to earn every vote, we've got to make our case, but we've now got the chance to make that case. So we're at London Tech Week. Yeah. If you look at AI, is it a risk or a benefit? It, I mean, a, a bit of both. There are huge potential, um, and everybody in this room knows that, and um, you know, incredible opportunities. Um, I did a speech on the future of the NHS a few weeks ago, and my main thesis was the NHS is face down on the floor. Um, it needs to be back up on its feet. But more than that, it needs to be fit for the future, which is a different question. Part of making it fit for the future is using technology uh, to a much greater extent. There's an important report come out this morning on that. And one of the examples I used in my speech, which is about AI, was if a radiologist works with AI when doing scans for cancer, particularly liver scans, they're 60% more likely to get them at an earlier stage, which makes a massive difference, obviously, to the individual patient and a huge difference to the NHS as well. So huge, huge um, potential. But, of course, risks. Risks of misinformation, risks that it's used in ways which we wouldn't consider to be good. Risks more broadly that AI is accelerating so very fast that um, some of the jobs that are being done now by people will almost certainly be being done by AI, already are to some extent, but um, I'm really struck by the speed of acceleration of development in AI. And so we need to put ourselves in a position to take advantage of the great benefits, but guard against the risks. Do you use ChatGPT? And if so, what do you ask it? But so, uh, <laughs> I have a masterclass on ChatGPT um, almost every day because I've got a 14-year-old son. Um, who looks at it all the time and shows me what it's capable of. And it's really incredible. 
uh, on a number of respects. One, that for my 14-year-old son, this is not seen to be outlandish. It's something which he thinks is really interesting. It'll be a major part of his life. So I see it developing um, there, see what it's capable of doing, see what he puts into it and information that you can get out of it at the drop of a hat. Absolutely incredible. You only have to see that to realise the impact it's going to have on jobs. Um, I've also had... I was talked through the example of the radiologist and AI at a, at a cancer roundtable to, to understand for myself how that works. But it comes up all the time. Uh, a week ago Monday, I was at Hinkley Point C, the nuclear uh, reactor that is being built in Somerset, and they've, they've got 9,000 people on that site, in the construction site, and they have to bust... It's a massive site, biggest construction site, I think, in Europe. They have to bust them around um, the site the whole time. And already the question is, is AI going to be driving, used to drive the buses, and therefore what's the impact for jobs? So it's all around us. Um, I feel we're slightly behind the curve. I think the government's right to focus on AI, but there's a long way to go in terms of what we do with it. Regulation, we're just beginning to have the discussion that's needed, both here and internationally, and a much more... Um, informed discussion about jobs, I think, is vitally, vitally important. Because otherwise, you know, we, we will risk not addressing one of the key questions, which is who benefits from this? Um, who benefits? Is it just those that um, always benefit from advancements in technology? Or is it everybody that we take with us? And it's got to be the second of those. How many jobs do you think will be lost because of AI? I mean, the UK has huge strengths in financial services and creative services, which could you know, be fairly wiped out. So how do you protect those jobs? Uh, I, I, look, I don't know the number is the honest answer. And I'm not sure anybody really does. But the percentages that have been put out there are quite staggering. And you can see why, because um, AI is now moving so fast, capable of doing things, drafting contracts, writing documents, assessing financial material, um, you know, helping with driving buses, radiologists scanning. So it is obvious it'll have an impact. The question is, how do we harness that good? And this is where I think there's a real point of distinction. So do we agree with the government that AI is really important? Yes. Do I think it's right that um, Rishi Sunak has uh, set up a summit um, here later in the year, yes, but what's the substance and how do you... I mean, this is being developed predominantly by the private sector at speed. You know, we've got an advantage. Uh, Google DeepMind is here. We've got brilliant innovation. We've got brilliant universities. Um, So we've got all the attributes, if you like, to make a real success of this, but we're nowhere near where we need to be on the question of regulation. Um, There's a bit of piecemeal sector-by-sector regulation, you know, in the medical field, the legal field, etc., financial services. But we haven't got an overarching framework. Um, And so we've got to get our hands around this. Um, We do need to be clear about what we're doing about jobs. And then there's a mindset. An incoming Labour government will be a government that partners with business, um, with a clear long-term strategy, a skills strategy... um, and an industrial strategy that means that we work together with business. So we will be a government that rolls up its sleeves, gets on the pitch and works with business to make sure that we harness the great benefits of AI and together work against the risk. And most businesses I've spoken to in relation to AI say, look here, it would be a good thing to have regulation because we think that that will make it more likely that we can succeed. So I think that working in this way, we can make a real success of this. The risk is in a way that we don't take that opportunity. So concretely, what does it look like? Like an AI ministry focused on regulation? Oh, I I think 
there's going to have to be an overarching regulatory um, framework of some sort. Um, the government's talking about principles in legislation which then find themselves in each of the sectors. I think we're going to have something stronger than that. I think foundation AI needs uh, regulation as well, and that requires international leadership as well as leadership um, here. But also working with businesses, because you need a government that's on the pitch, working with business, to say, if there are to be changes in jobs, let's say, there are job losses, what are we going to do about the workforce? What's the skilling, reskilling agenda? And how does that work at pace um, as we go forward? And that's something which has not happened now for many years. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers, they're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. So does AI mean we should seriously consider universal basic income? Well, I- I'm not attracted to universal basic income. I think that the advantage here would be for AI to take some of the jobs that AI will be able to do and for us to make sure that we can train and retrain and reskill the workforce into other areas. But that, so that's where I would put my um, energy. And I think there's a, that almost every business I speak to says to me almost all the time, I haven't got the skills I need. Um, and therefore, there's a huge, huge opportunity here to get this um, right. The apprenticeship levy um, is constantly complained about and ought to be changed, so there's stuff we can do there. Um, we've proposed Skills England, which is a body to oversee skills, and I want to devolve skills also closer to where businesses are in their area um, geographically. So I think we need to seize the skills agenda and see that. So I wouldn't go down the UBI route. I would go down the skills and reskilling route. But how difficult is that, given we don't really know the jobs of tomorrow? I mean, I, have, I should have asked ChatGPT what they see as, as the, the skills needed. You could have got the answer to this. Yeah. <laughs> we have to ask your son to do it for us. Yeah, but I mean, I, I, I think rather than sit and try to identify each and every job that might be affected, and there's going to be many, yeah. I think it's a sense of what's the infrastructure, the framework that a government needs to set up, and are we ready for the speed of this? Because I think there's still a bit of a feeling that AI may affect us in five years or six or seven years. I think it's more likely to be in the next 12 months, 18 months. So we've got a plan for rapid change. And at the moment, under this government, we don't have that infrastructure, that framework in place. So what does that look like for R&D funding? If you look at R&D funding totally in the UK, it's still smaller if you take government, business and university. I think it's less than Google and Apple between them. Yeah, I think Google and Apple put in more in R&D than the government does. I think that's... Well, government and business. Government, yeah. I think that's similar in other countries, if I'm right. So that's not peculiar to the UK. And I think it's probably wrong to just think, well, this should be a competition um, with each side sort of upping the numbers. I think it's how we work together. This is why 
Um, the partnership model that we want in government is vitally important. I mean, assuming um, we have an election next year, which obviously we, we will have, we get the opportunity, um, and it is an opportunity, um, if we get the privilege to serve, but we're going to inherit a real mess. The economy is broken, public services are broken, um, the civil service has lost um, its sort of um, confidence in the light of constant attack. So we've got to pick the country up, and our reputation isn't where it should be, but pick the country up. And what I've said is that requires us to be mission-driven, to be absolutely clear, what are we going to achieve in government? Um, and we've got five clear missions, the first of which is economic growth, and how do we achieve that? And technology, AI, will be part of the story, whether it's on health, whether it's growing the economy. That will enhance and allow us to drive forward with those missions, which, and, and they will require us to partner with business. If you win an election, I think you can legitimately say, this is what we will achieve in government, we've set it out, but then you get the choice of saying, well, how will you do that? Will you suck it up to Westminster Whitehall um, and do it from the centre? No, I don't think that model works. Will you simply say, well, we've set out what we want to achieve, it's for the, um, for the market now to determine um, how that's done. I don't think that model works, and not many businesses believe that's the model that's going to work. Or do you say we're going to have a true partnership between uh, uh, an active, agile Labour government and business, clear about what we're trying to achieve and working together to achieve it. And therefore, when it comes to R&D, the question is how do we jointly make the best of R&D, which we desperately need to do. The UK does have real tech success stories like yeah. Farm, but they've listed in New York, so how do you make it attractive for a business like that to, to list here? Well, look, I, I do think that we, I mean, we're third in the world um, and we've got amazing tech going on in the UK. We need to recognise that. We need to be clear about that and make sure that we don't lose that. Um, Google DeepMind is fantastic. It's in my constituency. Um, I've seen it uh, a number of times, and uh, as many people here will have done. We've got brilliant universities. We've got startups galore that are you know, using tech the whole time. In order to harness that, we've got to have not just the skills that I was speaking about, got to help. I mean, the, the problem with startups is that when they scale up, um, it tends to go elsewhere. So we've got to capture that problem, which is about access to capital, and create the environment where we can succeed on this. I genuinely think we can do it, but it is about creating the environment to do it. So do you think under a Labour government, a lot of entrepreneurs and investors here will want to stay in the UK and also list in the UK? Yeah, I hope so, because we want to create the environment in which... Um, it will be possible to start up, to scale up, where we can attract the sorts of innovation, uh, technical innovation, um, and build on what we've got. But the single most important thing is going to be growing the economy. We've had a pretty stagnant economy for 13 years now, and we've got to kickstart that and get the growth that we need, and that requires a long-term plan for growth. It, I mean, it goes back to almost where we started. Um, for growth in this country, the the foundational stone is stability and certainty. Um, and that's what we've been lacking under this government. We've been chopping and chopping. It's politically amusing that we've had three prime ministers in a year. When it comes to growing the economy and investing, uh, it's hopeless. 
it puts people off investing. It creates the sense this isn't an environment where we can be sure what's even going to happen for the next six months. If your business secretary changes all the time, then you can't make key decisions. So stability, long-term strategic thinking. That's why I want missions, by the way, which is to answer the question, what's the five or even ten-year strategy for this government? So everybody in this room, everybody listening to this knows, right, that's where they're going to put their attention. That's the focus they've got. And we can make investments and other decisions based on that degree of certainty. But how much of your attention would you focus on, for example, chip manufacturing? If you look at NVIDIA that makes chips for you know, AI, they became a $1 trillion company. Yeah, look, we can do, uh, we, we do have expertise in some areas here, um, but obviously we've got to get the relationship with the US right uh, in relation to chips. So there's that international heavy um, uh, duty pulling as well. And that is another area that I'm worried about because I think the turmoil we've had, the chaos in government, does affect how other countries look at us. Um, I went to Davos earlier this year and uh, one of the big takeaways for me was other countries lamenting the fact that the UK um, is not on the international stage in the way that it used to be. And I want that wanted there and, and here to have a statement of intent, which is an incoming Labour government will put us right back on the international stage and leading on some of the discussions that will have a profound impact on growth. Stability, um, what's our response to the Inflation Reduction Act in America was a cr critical question. Um, I can feel investors being drawn towards the US and we need a response in the UK to that. We can't just sit it out saying, well, we don't really agree with what they're doing, so we'll look on and do nothing. I think that's completely wrong. So creating those conditions for businesses to thrive is absolutely vital to us. Yeah, but is that with subsidies and with what money? Well, we've got a, what we call it a green prosperity plan, which is um, a plan which sets out what we intend to achieve. One example of that, for example, is green power, uh, clean power generation by 2030. It's a stretch target. Um, I think it can be done with technology, with AI, running towards the problem. It'll give us lower bills, security, independence from tyrants like Putin, and a real chance to grow our economy. Um, and we need money put behind that, but it's also about the partnership working. So we've got a plan that um, will you know, be our equivalent, if you like, of the Inflation Reduction Act. What I don't believe in is a government that just looks at the problem and then sits it out. I think it would be a huge mistake for our country. We've got to be on the pitch, agile and active, working with business, to, to reap what will be the very great rewards if we get this right. This has the potential to be the sort of next generation of jobs, skilled jobs in place across the country, all bundled up together. That's a huge, huge prize that we need to go out there and seize. So we talked a bit about the opportunities. Very quickly, as we end up, are we in an AI Terminator 2 situation? What are you most afraid of when it comes to AI and technology? Um, firstly, I don't want to just get into the business of saying I'm afraid of it all, because actually I do think it's got brilliant potential. Um, obviously, misinformation is a problem, and if it gets to a stage where people don't trust the information they've got, um, I think is a real issue. I do think that we need to fast forward on the regulation side, um, I don't see that going at anything like the speed. Um, and you know, I'm not in the sort of you know, existential question, but I do think, I mean, because I, I tend to sort of be much more grounded than that. I think most people who are beginning to talk about AI and, and understanding what it means will probably be thinking, what does this mean for my job? Will I be all right with my job? What happens if AI does a bit of my job? And it won't just be 
um, some of the people have been most affected by tech in the past, it will be, I think, at all levels. I, I can see in the legal profession, I mean, obviously, I was a lawyer before I became a politician, I see in the legal profession that AI could have a profound impact on drafting of contracts, um, you know, the sorts of things that routinely a lawyer might do. Um, and so we've got to answer that question about what's our answer to people say, I want a skilled, secure job of the future, which is totally understandable. I know it's going to be affected by AI. What's my government doing, working with the sector, to ensure that my future is secure and that I benefit, along with everybody else, in something that could, and I'm sure will be, you know, a real game-changer for the country? Sir Keir Starmer, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash FutureInvestor slash radio.